The Weigel Cast is part of the Hashtag Pressing Program, presented by GE. Welcome to another episode of Slate's interview podcast, The Weigel Cast. I'm Slate's political reporter, Dave Weigel. This week, I'm talking to Congressman James Clyburn, who since 1993 has represented Columbia, South Carolina, and most of the parts of the state that are heavily African-American. In May, Clyburn published a memoir titled Blessed Experiences, Genley Southern, Proudly Black. It covers his life from his years as a civil rights organizer to his triumph as the first African-American whip in Congress. And it deals very bluntly with race in America, asking how much progress the country has really made in our lifetime. One thing that occurred to me as I read the book is, is there's a great moment in 1991 when districts are redrawn and there are majority minority districts and more African-Americans can come to Congress. So a lot of a lot of the Voting Rights Act has been challenged since then. Right. How important is it to have majority minority districts, to have as many as possible? Well, I think that what you're doing with majority minority districts is simply saying to people who have traditionally left out of the process to elect someone of your choosing. Now, one of the things I think that gets overlooked time and time again is the fact that in South Carolina, for instance, uh, there are several districts that are majority black that uh, are represented by, by, by white people. So it's not a question of uh, black and black and white and white. The question is whether or not people who have been uh, accustomed to and in many instances trained to vote against uh, people of color. In South Carolina, uh, I remember when uh, this law uh, was implemented, and I write about this in the book. A lot of people made uh, a lot of noise about the fact that the, this district that I represent was being created and that uh, we didn't say, well, I bet he couldn't get elected in a, uh, in a majority white district. Well, I bet you a lot of white people couldn't get elected in majority black district. So what are you saying when you say that? And the fact of the matter is... Uh, we had a tradition in South Carolina of lumping all the majority black counties that were traditionally smaller counties into congressional districts with the majority of white counties that were usually the larger counties. To dilute the vote? It was doing in such a way that no district would have more than 40, well, to be exact, 38% uh, black population was the highest you had. Uh, that was gerrymandering uh, to the nth degree. Uh, and nobody ever talked about it. Well, one reason I ask about it is because at that time, and when you were running in the seventies, uh, the in throughout the South, the Democratic Party was white conservatives, and then some white, and white liberals too, mm-hmm. and African Americans. And in the last decade and a half, mm-hmm. Republicans, as they take control of state legislatures, have sure. drawn lines in a way to eliminate all the districts that white progressives could win in. They've been pretty explicit. We're seeing in Florida now that was explicit in some of the mapping they did in North Carolina. That's why I ask about it is, is is it time to reconsider how to draw those districts? How many to draw if if it's going to be used to limit the power of progressives? Well, it all all depends whether or not the courts would allow stacking to take place. Okay. And, and, And the courts have been very clear, the Supreme Court especially, uh, that stacking would be frowned upon. Yet, I've not seen an instance where the Supreme Court stepped in and says, wait a minute, uh, this district was in fact stacked. We saw that uh, this time in South Carolina. More black people were brought into my district 
not to do me any favors, but to whiten up all the districts around me. And so there's a balance to be struck here. Uh, and the question is whether or not uh, people uh, would um, not be so disingenuous when they were really dealing with this issue. Well, that, that's just the final question on that. When it comes to your district, maybe it comes to uh, your Kyle, well, it used to be Mel Watts district, J.K. Mm-hmm. Butterfield's district. It seems like that's what they did was stack so Absolutely. that they, they make the other districts around as competitive. Hasn't been tested yet. Do you think that's unfair or that's, that should be legally challenged? Well, I think it should be legally challenged. In fact, I, I'm one of the ones who's challenging it. Yeah. I, um, I ended uh, in amicus brief uh, uh, when the, the stacking was challenged in South Carolina, and that is under consideration now. In 2009, Mark Sanford first and a couple other Republican governors want to be able to turn down money from the uh, from the stimulus package. And you mm-hmm. help negotiate language that lets a state legislature, if they disagree with the governor, get that money anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you see any any way of states turning around and finding a solution like that with, with Medicaid expansion? Since the Supreme Court l- allowed states to reject that money, mm-hmm. you're seeing South Carolina – most of the South, I think all of it except Arkansas, this real stratification where states that states that took it are in in much mm-hmm. better position. The states that didn't are refusing it. Looks like at on the infinite horizon. Yeah, but Kentucky did also. Kentucky, uh, yeah. uh, I was thinking uh, just the Confederacy. Yeah, yes, Kentucky is a border state, yeah. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I think that. Um, A lot of states are going to deal with that. And I think that the moment uh, Obama is no longer in office, you'll see a plethora of these states uh, looking for a way uh, to expand Medicaid. There is no reason for it not to be done except that it would uh, look like uh, in some way aiding and abetting uh, in the whole issue of whether or not the Affordable Care Act uh, is in fact Obamacare. To the extent that it's the Affordable Care Act, uh, Arkansas, Kentucky, uh, all of these states uh, are are fine with it. Uh, If it's uh, Obamacare, uh, they're not so fine with it. And it's just that simple, though we're talking about the same uh, animal uh, in different clothing. Oh, yeah, and that's been really explicit in some places. In Virginia, sure. the way that it's campaigned against is expanding Obamacare. There, Republicans will refer to it as expanding Obamacare. Absolutely. In Kentucky, it is Connect. It's, it's the that system that makes Absolutely. A and everybody loves Connect, mm-hmm. but they don't like Obamacare. We'll get back to my interview with James Clyburn in a moment after a quick word from our sponsor. The Weigelcast is part of the Hashtag Pressing program presented by GE. Hashtag Pressing is working with some of the country's best news organizations to bring you thoughtful discussions of policy, not heated arguments about politics. I'd like to thank GE for making the program possible. And now back to my talk with James Clyburn. Another story you tell in the book is you interacted with Clarence Thomason, who's working with the Reagan administration. Sure. He was in the room when you're making the case for affirmative action. You right. see him. I think he exits the room. He comes back in. He's, yeah. he's sort of glowering. Do you have any insight onto how... He and the rest of the, the conservative members of the Supreme Court, how they think about – whether they think about race and if they're, they're realistic about it when they make decisions like undoing part of the Voting Rights Act. Because uh, you interacted with him. Maybe you haven't talked to him much since then. But No, I haven't. They, uh, they make this argument that, well, the, clearly the, the America is less racist than it was in 1965, so we don't need this anymore. Well, I think America is less racist today than it was in 1965. Yes. 
But I think America is a little more racist today than it was 10 years ago. Hmm. So the pendulum goes back and forth. And I think at one point the pendulum topped out to the left and is now going back in the other direction. Now the question is, when and where will it top out to the right? Now I tell people all the time, and I may argue a little bit for the, about this in the book, uh, that um, one of my biggest problems serving here in the Congress is is the fact that I let history guide my thought process on much of this. Anything that's happened before can happen again. And when I look at how the country came out of Reconstruction, uh, starting with the infamous Tilden Hayes Compromise back in 1876, and how all that topped out in 1896 uh, with Pleasant versus Ferguson, and that uh, decision which took place over a 20-year period, seeming at separate but equal in our society. We got away from that with Brown in 54 and the legislation that flowed from Brown, uh, uh, the voting, Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, the Fair Housing Law and the amendment to the 1972 Amendment to the, uh, to the Civil Rights Act. Over that eight-year period from 64 to 72, uh, things uh, sort of topped out to the left. And from that day to now, uh, the pendulum has begun to go back in the other direction. Where would it top out? Uh, I would hope that the Shelby decision on voting challenging, which really, really gutted the Voting Rights Act, would be uh, the end. I don't think so. What do you make, though, of the success Tim Scott has had in, in, in the state? I mean, he won very conservative, mostly white district. He has less of a challenge from the Republican Party than Lindsey Graham does right now. How do you put that in the, in the context of... Of, of what you're talking about, that Republican voters, largely white electorate, seem pretty happy sending him to Washington. Well, it's certainly those people who focus on skin color. I don't focus on skin color when I come to when it comes to to these kinds of, of issues. The issues of race. Uh, race is a condition. Just because Clarence Thomas has got the same skin color I've got, uh, we don't see the world the same way. So there are people who are comfortable with Clarence, uh, Clarence Thomas. There are people who are comfortable with, uh, with Tim Scott. Uh, Tim Scott could not get elected in my district. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could. You know, he may be the same skin color I've got, but he could not get elected in my district. Because of the policies he supports. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. People have given me a hard time for saying this, but look, I mean, some of the criticism of, of President Obama has been gratuitous. I mean, what's it, what's it about? I mean, to go out of your way to be insulting to the first African-American president in the United States, uh, I was taught as a child, if you can't say something good, don't say anything. Well, he's the opposite. And that's it for Wigelcast this week. Thanks to our producer, Alexis Dial, to Slate's senior producer, Mike Volo, and to the executive producer of Slate's podcast, Andy Bowers. I'm Dave Weigel, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.